So to continue the topic of exploring the hindrances in terms of the guidance that the Buddha offers in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha's instructions on mindfulness, the four foundations of mindfulness. Exploring the hindrances is um, really exploring with mindfulness, with awareness, what, is, what are those qualities of mind that tend to take us away from being able to be present? And so this is an interesting piece that we are exploring something that tends to take us away from being present, but we can be present with that which takes us away from being present. So that's good news. That's good news that that's possible. And um, the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta, I mean, and one other piece that I've said in the past few weeks, but I'll say again, um, that when we can be aware of what tends to take us away from being present, it's no longer serving in that way. It's no longer taking us away from being present. We are able to know something about it. And in the Satipatthana Sutta, the first two things that we're encouraged to know about the hindrances, and just as a reminder, the the hindrances, those qualities that tend to take us away from being present, sense desire, wanting something pleasant, ill will, wanting to get rid of the unpleasant, sloth and torpor, sleepiness, dullness of mind, restlessness, the kind of not able to land thoroughly on what's here, and doubt. And so the first, uh, the first in- encouragement for us in the Satipatthana Sutta is to get to know what it's like when they're here. What is the experience of these qualities of mind? And we've talked about that in the, the last few weeks, but just a kind of one key piece that we begin to see, that we begin to experience, being aware of these states, being aware of when they're present, we notice that there's usually some kind of contraction or tension or, or um, um, tightness in the body. The mind is often kind of looped in on itself. And so there's a, a quality of essentially the experience of stress, of suffering. And so we begin to get familiar with that experience of these qualities when they're present lead to non, non, non-well-being. That not, well-being is not um, available as much. And when we can be aware of them, there can be well-being in the awareness, even as we know a difficulty. And so that's interesting, too, that we can begin to see that the quality of mind that knows, that can be with, this is ill will arising, this is frustration or irritation or annoyance arising, the mind that can know that, there can be a a kind of a quality of okayness in the mind, even as it knows how the quality of frustration, annoyance, or tension creates stress creates suffering. And so we get familiar with the experience of the presence of these hindrances and how they are 
taking us away from an ease or a peace of mind. The next instruction is encouragement to get to know the absence of these hindrances when they're not present. And there we begin to see more the sense of when they're not here, that the mind is more at ease. And so the contrast, we get to know the contrast between the presence and the absence of the hindrances. And each hindrance has its own specific flavor that we get to know. We we get to know the particular qualities of wanting, of leaning into something, of wanting to push away from something. We get to know the quality of the mind that's dull or sleepy. We get to know the quality of the mind that is restless and not able to land on things. And we get to know the opposite. We get to know the experience when they're not there. And so these, this kind of checking into or getting familiar with the presence and the absence of the hindrances then takes us to the place where we can start to recognize how they come into being, how they fall away. And so the, the, this is the next part of the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta to get familiar with the conditions that lead to the arising of the hindrance to get familiar with what happens there. How does that come into being? How do, these, how do these hindrances come into being? How do they let go? So we've talked about that somewhat in the last few weeks, getting familiar with the conditions. And the, the, this is a, this understanding of the conditions um, you know, it might sound like we're trying to analyze or figure things out or um, think about how did this come into being, but the encouragement is more to notice what is arising. How is the experience happening? And so if, we, as, if we're noticing, for instance, that a hindrance is not here, we may begin to see through that familiarity of what it's like for a hindrance to come into being. We may... Um, or for the hindrance to be present, we may then see a hindrance as it starts to arise. Know it. See it directly. This takes continuity of mindfulness. This takes the the ability for the mindfulness to be present over time, to see moment after moment, oh, this, this is the experience now. It's easeful. It's peaceful. Oh, now there's the mind starting to kind of get caught by something. What's going on there? So we start to see, uh, uh, there's a little more continuity and we start to see what, it, what are the, um, maybe that we could say the triggers for the arising of a hindrance. We might get familiar with that. So for instance, we might see um, seeing something that a person that we've had um, issues with in the past. You know, we might see a person and there might, you know, when, when they come into our um, field of vision, we feel the constriction arising. And so we, we see that there's a, a relationship between the, the seeing of the person and the constriction arising. And we might think that that, that means that the person made this happen, but the, the teachings of the Buddha are a little more in depth than that. There is a condition that that person has brought into our experience, 
but the Buddha points to the, the teachings that the Buddha is pointing to are what is possible within our own experience in terms of moving towards freedom, moving towards not having stress or suffering. And so what's, what's, the, contribute, what's the contribution internally when that person is in our, um, comes into our field of vision? What's the contribution internally? Often it's um, a thought arises of a memory perhaps of something that that person did in the past and then there's a reaction to that thought or that memory. Internally that's happening. And so we begin to see the conditions, what's going on. Now the, the Satipatthana Sutta just wants us to get to know this, to learn from the conditions. The Satipatthana Sutta doesn't say that we should do anything about trying to stop what is being seen, but just to learn from it, to understand the conditions of the arising, to understand the conditions of the, of the passing away. This, this, does, this, does, um, this kind of learning is available, again, with that continuity of mindfulness. The, the possibility of learning happens, partly because what, what we spoke what I spoke about a few minutes ago, we see the experience, so in the seeing of the arising of, of a hindrance, we feel the stress come into being. We feel that. And if we're not judging ourselves for it, the mind is learning at that point, oh, this thing coming into being, this creates stress in the system. When we feel a hindrance releasing, we feel the stress releasing, we feel the suffering releasing. And so there's the understanding, the way this learning happens is that our system, our human system essentially, wants to move in the direction of well-being. This is a kind of a, something that our, our human system is kind of moves in this direction. It doesn't want to suffer, our human system, and so it tries to find ways to not suffer. And um, the way our human system also works is that um, ideas and beliefs about what will make us not suffer often are what we act on, what we, what we uh, engage with, as opposed to really looking at what is actually happening. And so as we start to see with direct experience, when this arises, this creates stress. When this ends, this releases stress. Our, our system begins to kind of orient towards the releasing of those tendencies. That takes getting underneath the ideas and beliefs to the direct experience. And so this is what the, the teachings are pointing to in the Satipatthana Sutta, getting to the direct experience and learning from what is actually happening. Now there are times, of course, when we can't um, simply be with what's happening. And there are tools that other places in the suttas, techniques and encouragements to Set, set aside reactivity, turn the attention to other experience, a bring in metta, for example, a whole host of tools when we can't 
simply be aware of the experience. But the Satipatthana Sutta is really encouraging this, this learning from the direct experience. And so that's the emphasis of what we're exploring in these, in these days. I've not been going so much into the antidotes to the hindrances, but more, what can we learn? What can we learn from the hindrances? And so there are these encouragements to explore with a little more continuity what happens as a hindrance comes into being, what happens as it ends, and what are the conditions that are leading to the arising and the ending of those. The last instruction, the last piece of um, the instruction for the hindrances in the Satipatthana Sutta it's a, it's a kind of a complex uh, phrasing. I'll read it to you. Being aware or knowing, let's see if I can find the exact wording here. Being aware of the future, how the future non-arising of the hindrance, of the non-arisen hindrance comes to be. Now that's really complicated language. <laughs> How does the future non-arising of the hindrance that is not present come to be? It's reminiscent in a way of the language of the of wise effort, which the first wise effort is the effort towards the non-arising of unwholesome states that have not arisen. Again, pretty convoluted language. There's three negatives in that, in that sentence. And our minds don't, don't quite, you know, land with that. But there's some, there's some simple ways to understand this and some more subtle ways to understand this. So, understanding the non-arising or the understanding how the future non-arising of a hindrance happens. Basically, um, we have gotten to know through the process of exploring the hindrance, we get to know what makes it come into being. We get to know the conditions that lead to its arising. And with that, there may be some understanding about if that condition is not present, perhaps that hindrance won't arise. So let's go back to the example of seeing somebody, you know, seeing somebody and uh, having a reactivity arise. You know, at first glance, perhaps we might think that this teaching means, so the future non-arising of that reactivity around that person means I shouldn't look at them you know, means I shouldn't be in their presence. That would be one way, you know, potentially <laughs> to not have that reactivity arise. But the, you know, so that is, that is looking at one condition. But the teachings really point to the internal conditions. What are the, what are the internal conditions that are present that lead to the arising of the hindrances? And so this gets a little bit subtler. You know, and so the, this lear the learning around what leads to the arising is a key in 
um, in terms of helping us to understand what would lead to the non-arising. So um, we might begin to recognize, for instance, with that person that there is, you know, so there's, there's reactivity. A thought arises in the mind, again, as I said, you know, a thought arises in the mind about things they've done in the past. And so that's an internal phenomenon, one that we often can't stop, right? So it's not, it's not something I can say, well, I'm going to make that not happen. But we can begin to see that it is a condition. It is a condition leading to the arising of that hindrance. And so perhaps if those thoughts were not so sticky, that's another piece of those thoughts, that they're, it's not just that they arise. And this is something I learned in my own in my own practice was to see that thoughts could arise in the mind, thoughts could arise and the mind would kind of like stick to them, jump on them and go, oh yeah, that's important. That's something I need to think about or worry about or do something about. So that's, that was another learning through seeing how the, the hindrances arise. It's like, oh, there's the thought that comes and then there's this glomming onto that thought. Again, not something that we can necessarily say, okay, I'm not going to have that happen. I'm not going to, I'm going to stop that from happening. That happens very quickly and almost automatically. But again, it's a learning that um, um, there is the thought that arises and then there's this glomming on, this kind of sticking to that thought that happens. Through repeated um, observation in my own practice, I began to see that the thought and that glomming on were two separate things. You know, initially it seems like they come completely together. Like that thought comes and, you know, it just comes right with that stickiness. But through the repeated kind of observation, there could be the seeing, oh, that thought can arise without that stickiness. And right there, right there seeing that, you're getting a sense or the flavor of the non-arising of the reactivity. Because you've seen perhaps, oh, that thought arises about that memory, but there's not this tension that's arising with it. Maybe for just a split second you see that, and then the reactivity kind of leaps in, or that kind of stickiness leaps in. But you've seen maybe just a little gap there, and see that there's that that is a condition. It's not only the thought, so it's not only the seeing the person, and it's not only the thought about what they've done in the past, but there's something that happens now in this moment, aside from the arising of the thought, that there's a kind of a, a reaction to that, an anger, a frustration, a confusion, a hatred, a, some, some kind of emotional response. And maybe further, you could start to see other things that are going on there too, like beliefs, ideas. That should never have happened, for instance, a, a belief in the mind. That should never have happened. Or that person deserves to be punished for what they did, or something, you know, some, some kind of a belief in the mind. So again, seeing the, the conditions that lead to the arising help us to understand, potentially as we see this, kind of some, sometimes step by step we see um, something arise and maybe um, see that little gap between the thought and the, the stickiness, we begin to understand the possibility, the, 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 
possibility that there might be conditions that would lead to the non-arising of the hindrance. So we can play with this to some extent to look at what are the conditions, you know, then the right effort encouragement here is to avoid the conditions that lead to the arising. And that's, that can be useful, uh, for instance, if you find that the reactivity is so sudden and so immediate, you can give yourself a break, perhaps, by saying, okay, I, I, you know, I just can't see that person for a little while. That would be a way to, to work with it. And then you might begin to notice that just the thought of the person coming into your mind also creates some tension. And perhaps you can work with that and work with, you know, seeing what happens there. So the um, looking at the, you know, the future non-arising, the future non-arising, what, what encourages the future non-arising of, of the hindrances? The, one of the, the key conditions that supports the future non-arising is mindfulness of the hindrances. So right as we are looking at, um, as as we are looking at, for instance, uh, aversion happening in the mind, anger arising in the mind, if we are able to be present with that, we see, you know, we're learning something about the conditions that lead to the arising. We're learning about the presence of the of the. and the tension and the stress that comes with that aversion, that anger. So we're learning about that. And that um, understanding a little bit for myself as I began to understand how the practice works, as I said earlier, you know, getting to know when that tension is present, that it is suffering, leads the mind to understand that isn't well-being and leads the mind to begin to let go of it or move in the direction of releasing it. So that attending to the presence of the uh, ill will, the presence of the aversion, is a condition that helps the mind to understand this way is not leading to well-being. And so it is a condition that supports the mind releasing that hindrance. So this is an, this is an understanding. Sometimes the, the way I look at this teaching, this particular flavor of this teaching, understanding the future, not, how the future non-arising of the hindrance comes to be. Sometimes it's, it's not so much of a direct experience, but more of an understanding in a way, more of a, of a reflection that we understand while we are in the very moment of attending to the arising of a hindrance of anger, in it, for example, that we understand this is helpful for letting it go. This is helpful for the future non-arising of this hindrance. 
that um, understanding does uh, inspire, at times it can create a sense of inspiration for wanting to continue the practice, wanting to continue observing, getting to know, wanting to learn about what's what our minds are doing. Because we understand that this learning process is leading to freedom. We understand the learning process is leading to the non-arising of these reactions. It contributes, it takes us in that direction. We also might start to see and understand from from the reflection on the, the kind of the experience of when the hindrances are not arising. Noticing the absence of the hindrances. We, we get to see conditions that are present there. We may see ease in the mind or balance in the mind, equanimity. We may see um, um, patience, the presence of patience that's supporting this uh, quality of the hindrance not being there. And so when the hindrance is not present, we notice not only the absence of the hindrance, but also, again, with the continuity, we notice some of the conditions that are present in the mind that support that hindrance not being there. Mindfulness is a key one, but also some of these other beautiful qualities of mind. Kindness, compassion, patience, tranquility equanimity. And so those two, um, we begin to, to recognize that when those are present, they lead to the non-arising of the hindrance. So there's some other ways that we can recognize or know the non-arising of the hindrance. I think one way is, it's kind of, it is a reflection in a way that, that we see, you know, and I think many of you have, have seen something like this. Um, there are times when we almost notice the absence of the hindrance in contrast to a habit. Like we see maybe, maybe some particular day we've, you know, we've really gotten a lot of rest. There's a lot of presence of mind. And we see something happen. Something happens one day. One day, this is a simple, silly example. But one day I was carrying a tin. Uh, you know, I was carrying several things and there was a tin of mints that I was carrying. Kind of, I think it was probably balanced on top of other things and it slid off and it like fell on the floor. And it just, the, the mints just scattered everywhere. And the, the mind's response in that moment was, wow, look at the pattern of mints on the floor. It, there was just no, like, aversion at all in that moment. And so there was, in that moment, there was the kind of the seeing, because it was notable to me that there was no reactivity there. You know, often when something like that happens, there's even just the subtlest bit of, oh, this is annoying, I'll have to pick this up, you know, but there was none of that. And so that was that experience, you know, so seeing that from history, you know, habitually, usually in a situation like that, I would have seen a subtle bit of stickiness. Or another example, um, 
um, you know, opening a drawer and feeling, you know, sometimes the drawer sticks a little bit and there's just a little bit of needing to pull a little bit more. And often I would, I would notice, I, I notice a lot, of, a lot of times that just a little bit of a little kind of a, a, a tiny tightening in the mind around that stickiness. And then sometime not seeing that, it's like, oh, there's stickiness there. That's interesting. That's what's happening. So noticing, sometimes we, we notice the non-arising through seeing, essentially, that's, that um, what would habitually arise is not happening right now. And we can see that pretty directly at times. It's, it's not, it's not, doesn't feel theoretical. It's like, yeah, I'm not experiencing that. And there's a feeling of freedom. We get a feeling of freedom there for not being caught by that habitual grip. And so that's, that's seeing the non-arising essentially in the moment. It's not even like um, um, the, the sutta says, understanding how the future non-arising comes to be. And in that case, it's like understanding how the non-arising in this moment comes to be. The mind is not in that habitual tendency, not hooked in that habitual tendency. But it's a little bit reflective there. You know, it's more like seeing in that moment. We, we see the absence of the hindrance there. And we understand, habitually, I would have reacted. And I'm not reacting. And so we understand there's something different there. But we may not see exactly what happened. We just know that there's a difference. A more direct way that can happen, and this, you know, this may not happen that often, you know, it can be something, it, it does happen, it can happen in daily life, I've seen it happen in daily life, I've seen it happen on retreats, when the mindfulness is, is a little more steady, a little more uh, available. That steadiness of mindfulness, though, doesn't have to be something that's like a real long continuity of mindfulness. At times, the continuity of mindfulness can arise, like, with a moment, of experience. Maybe it, I sometimes call this a burst of continuity where, you know, in a moment mindfulness arises and it's seeing very clearly the unfolding of conditions in the mind. One of those bursts of continuity happened for me um, early in my practice, and this is. I tell this story a lot. You've many, I think probably most of you have heard this story many times of seeing um, a thought arise in my mind. I was, had been working with anger, looking at seeing anger a lot and um, getting familiar. This whole, this whole teaching of the Satipatthana Sutta is really revealed in the work that I did. Um, around the anger. I mean, the, the mind kind of went through all of these steps, getting familiar with the presence of, of anger, getting familiar with the absence of anger, seeing it arise, seeing it pass away. And in this case, um, um, what happened was I saw the thought, I saw a thought arise. I was doing something in my kitchen. I was cutting an apple and I saw a thought arise in my mind that was connected to um, uh, the person that I was angry with. And that thought was connected with the apple. You know, the thought was a memory of being with the person at a fruit stand somewhere. 
And so there was this connection I could see. And, and so the, I wasn't like trying to be mindful here, but there was a little burst of continuity that arose with the seeing of the thought of being with the person at the fruit stand. And in that moment, there was the recognition. And, and again, what I'm describing here is going to take me a, you know, a minute or so to de- describe, but this happened within a split second. This is a really fast little burst of mindfulness that saw all of these things happen. So there was the, um, the seeing of the thought. There was a recognition of the absence of the anger in that moment. Anger was not present in a split, you know, just so there was the seeing of the thought and anger was not present. Then there was the seeing of the arising of the intention to glom onto that thought, to think more thoughts in order to get angry at that person. There was this like, I felt like, it felt like this freight train of intention to, yeah, we want to get angry at that person. And yet that was, that was the intention. It wasn't the anger itself. It just felt like this, like this becoming, this movement towards the anger. So that was seen. Then the next thing that was recognized was that the mind saw that way lies suffering. So that, that kind of movement or that congealing of the, uh, of the anger, the, the direction, the intention. So sometimes we might see the intention towards that mind state. And so that's what I saw. I saw the intention to get angry at that person. And the mind recognizing through seeing that intention and knowing So again, this was not something I did. This wasn't something I thought I should let that go. That way, that's going to be suffering. The system understood that way lies suffering. And the system let go of that intention. So that's, that was seen. And I stood there for a couple of minutes, you know, just maybe even like it wasn't a couple of minutes, it was was like sit sit there for like a few seconds and realized that the mind had let go of that intention to get angry. And I kind of stood there waiting to get angry because it hadn't arisen in my mind. This person hadn't arisen in my mind in many, many months without the anger arising. And I, what I experienced was in that moment, it's like, it's not arising and it's not going to arise. And then what was flood, what flooded me in the next moment was appreciation and gratitude for the practice. So all of that was seen through this burst of continuity. But the, the experience that I'm pointing to here most directly in terms of this teaching of seeing the future non-arising of the hindrance was seeing that moment of intention to get angry and the mind letting that go. That was understanding. That was clearly seeing the future non-arising of that hindrance because the mind was all set to go there and it let it go. So that, again, that's, that's some of the power of the continuity of the mindfulness and the power of the learning that happens. I've been looking at anger and everything around anger for a couple of months by the moment by the moment that this happened so the learning that had happened enabled the mind to understand so much in that split second and let go 
of the anger in that moment. And it was just a letting go of the anger in that moment. There were many years of still working with this particular pattern of anger that followed, but there was a lot of understanding of how the mind was participating in it. And the last piece I'll just point to, I pointed to it a couple minutes ago. Um, we can know that the mind is free of defilements when there is equanimity. We can know the mind is free of hindrances, of these reactive emotions, when the mind has balance of mind. We, and we know those flavors. We can, we can get familiar with those flavors. So in that moment when we know the absence of the hindrance, familiarity with those experience, with that experience and the qualities in the mind there, the balance of mind, the tranquility, the ease, the peace, that supports the future non-arising of the hindrance as well. Because we're cultivating, in that case, we're cultivating the conditions of the wholesome. We're cultivating the conditions of equanimity, which supports the mind to be able to meet situations without that reactivity arising. So that's probably... That's probably enough from me today. And um, yeah, any thoughts or questions? There's just a few more minutes for comments, or questions, or any reflections. Melissa. I have a question about in at the stage of understanding the conditions that cause the arising. And one of the things, well, it can be with either aversion or desire, but probably more with, a, it's stronger with aversion, is that the creation of the aversion, like taking your, your example of an experience with a person that initial imprint of that experience, like I think that person did something unpleasant or harmful towards me. And there's the I in that. So there's, to me, at that very initial stage, there is that arising of the anatta or anatta. There has to be a sort of a strong sense of an I or a self in there for that to initially imprint the continuation of that. So I'm just interested in that. Well, I think that that's a great thing to be interested in, to be curious about the experience of that sense of I. And when, I mean, because the, the feeling of, I, you know, sometimes the feeling or the sense of I is clear and sometimes it's, it's not so clear. Um, you know, sometimes it's more that we're aware of the constriction of the emotion around something. Like we're more aware of the frustration or the anger rather than the I that feels that or the I that's identified with something. Mm -hmm. And yet there are times when we do uh, know that feeling of that, of the constriction of the self. And, and it's like, okay, well, what's that? You know, that too 
mean, that, that too is um, something that we can be aware of. And actually, we'll move more into that as we keep exploring in the Satipatthana Sutta. This first section of the fourth foundation is looking at the hindrances, um, you know, and so more it's kind of looking at the emotional side there, you know, mm-hmm. familiarity with the presence of the absence of the hindrances, and not so much with, you know, you may start to see in the conditions that there is this, I'm being wronged, you know, so we may f- begin to feel that as a condition. And, and that can be, um, okay, then that's, use, that's useful, you know, it's interesting to see that. And we might feel at times when that isn't arising, you know, when the uh, hindrance isn't arising, that that kind of feeling of the congealing of the eye isn't there. And we might begin to understand how the eye is a part of that arising of the hindrance. And it is. It is a part of the arising of the hindrance. It's just not so easy to see at times. But if you're seeing it, if you know that, as opposed to thinking about it, because... um, you know, sometimes we can think, we might think, oh, there's a hindrance arising, so there must be an eye there somewhere. Where is it? Let me find the eye. Uh, you know, that that's a little bit more reflective. It's a little bit more like the mind thinking I should see something, as opposed to what it's actually noticing. And so it's, it's useful to, to recognize, well, what are you actually noticing? If what's actually being noticed is the constriction of the you know, the fear or the confusion or the anger, that's useful. You know, that's, that's a part of what we, what we can see and know. And that's what's obvious in that moment. And the, um, you know, the looking at experience, it's like there's many different sides to experience. So within that pattern that's arising that includes that anger, there is the sense of self. But within the, you know, it, there's also the feeling of the anger. And so we can look at any side of it, whatever is easiest to get to, you know, whatever's the easiest piece to, to, to feel or to meet in that moment, there can be learning with that. And then you might start to see the I, you know, the sense of the I, you know, there. And in that example I gave around the anger and the feeling of the congealing of the identity, you know, the congealing of the intention, I would say that that's really where the, um, that congealing of the intentions really where the sense of self came in. But I wasn't experiencing it from that perspective in that moment. I was just more seeing this, you know, this movement to get angry. Now that I want to get angry was in there. But, you know, I was, I was a new meditator at that point. I hadn't even really heard much about the not self teaching, but I understood what was going on in the way of like, Wanting to get angry, that way lies suffering, and seeing the mind let go of that. And so um, I didn't need to know the sense of self there in order for there to be freedom. Mm-hmm. So, so, that, I mean, there, so I want to both encourage being aware when you recognize the sense of self, but also to not necessarily feel like that's how you have to observe experience in order to find freedom. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the freedom can happen with just the simple observation of whatever's obvious in that moment, the feeling of the constriction, the release from that constriction. And the next section of the Satipatthana Sutta is looking at the five aggregates, which is really an encouragement to actually begin to look at how does the sense of self arise? 
And so we'll get to that one in the coming weeks too. You know, we'll, we can begin to explore how we can see that. Um, but again, it's not, it's not the be all and end all in terms of the seeing. So, but you, if you are seeing it, you know, and it does sound like you know what that's like, that sense of that I coming in, notice that. You know, it's like, oh, there's, there's me, <laughs> there's me coming in. And what is that me? And how does it differ from a different version of me that comes in at another time? You know, it kind of begins to poke holes. That, that observation begins to poke holes in the idea that there's a single solid me out there. It's a different flavor of me that comes in any time a particular experience arises. You know, there's a different me that feels like it, it's connected to sense desire that it feels like connected to sloth and torpor. So, yeah. Oh, very useful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>